You know, one of the really cool things about being able to just come together as a body, right, is those times of celebration. And a couple weeks ago on Easter, we got to celebrate baptisms, which was an absolutely incredible thing, right? That symbolic transformation, this public proclamation of a transformation that has taken place in the lives of the people that were baptized. In a couple weeks, we get to celebrate child dedications, which is going to be an awesome thing. On May 15th, we get to celebrate just the reality that as a body, we come together and as parents, we come alongside these kids and make this commitment to raise them in the life of faith. But sometimes what we get to celebrate is not just those beginning moments or even those transformation moments, but it's those moments when something is ending, right? So often we're always looking at the beginning or maybe even the middle, but we don't take time to celebrate the end of something. And for the past several months, we've had two women with us, Sarah Peters and Emily Carter, who have been serving alongside us as part of the GenSend program with the SEND Network and the North American Mission Board, and they've been in the city. Emily's been in the city since the summer, and you get to hear a little bit more about that, but they've been together with us through the fall and the spring semester, just doing incredible work in the city for the sake of the gospel and even in our church and on our college campuses. And so today, this is their last Sunday as a part of that program. And so we wanted to make sure that we spent some time just celebrating them and what God has done through their time here and what he's going to be doing next. And so I'm going to go ahead and invite Emily and Sarah up. And if they've made an impact in your life at all over the past couple months, just give it up for them as they get up here. Hey, I'm going to hand the mic over to you guys at different times, but I heard that you got stuck in some, some marathon traffic. So even, that's right, even as you're in the city for a while, right, there's still new little things that Pittsburgh throws your way, so like shutting the entire city off, all the main thoroughfares, so good luck, right? Well, hey, I, I like I said, it's super just glad that you guys are here and have been here with us as a part of Steel City. I know Chris, myself, and anyone that you guys have had the opportunity to engage with have just been greatly blessed by you guys. And so we just, like I said, wanted to take some time to be able to celebrate you guys by giving you the opportunity to just share a little bit about your experience. And so I'm going to ask you this first, Emily. You know, you've been here for a long time, literally since the summer. Um, just tell us a little bit more specifically about the Jensen program and then how that has been stretching or challenging or maybe helped your faith grow during your time here in Pittsburgh. Yeah, so as he said, I came here this summer with the Jensen Summer Program, which is a six-week program. They have them in cities all across America, and the intention is kind of this missions training and how to live on mission for God. And I went into that thinking I was just going to spend a summer to do something missions-related before I got a job in ministry back home in St. Louis. And um, when I got here, I was just blown away by what the program really did and what it enabled God to do through us. So while we were here this summer, we learned methods of sharing the gospel. We learned how to start conversations with people just out on the street, out in the buses, out in cafes, coffee shops, bookstores, wherever it might be, and how to build relationships with them for the intention of sharing the gospel with them. So we got to meet some really, really amazing people this summer through that program, um, Z being one of them. And uh, so that just whole program really allowed God to work through me and many others to share his good news and um, enabled us to learn just how to share his love with the city and be on fire for him. Awesome. Very cool. I remember when I first met Emily, she came as a part of the group that was here for the summer, a group of women that helped us pull off a summer VBS and I remember thinking, like, oh, this girl from St. Louis, like, we'll see what God does. And her first impact on me was probably, like, this guy's a pastor? Well, like, they just let anybody in now. Now now we've both grown. We've both grown. Now, yeah, you're much more than just this person from St. Louis. You're going to be doing some incredible things. I haven't, but we're still good. So, hey, I wanted to talk to you here for a second, Sarah. 
you know, you've gotten to kind of be on campus, and I, I think one of the things I love about you is that, like, anytime that there's something that's going on, there's just this intentionality that you have, you know, hear it in your language all the time of just, like, we want to show the love of Jesus to people in everything that we do. So I wanted you to share a little bit more about, like, what has it specifically looked like as you guys have been doing some ministry on campus? How have you guys been helping people learn and live the ways of Jesus on the college campuses here? Yeah, so, oh, that was really loud, sorry. (laughs) Um, So we actually, David, Emily, and I started um, trying to start a college ministry here at Steel City um, just to get college students in Pittsburgh more involved um, in, you know, living their lives with Jesus, um, but also here at Steel City with us. Um, And we did nine Engage events on campus this semester, which was really cool. Um, And in those Engage events, we handed out free things, we did little drawings, we did um, like a survey thing. And so um, in all of that, each of the times that we went out on campus, when we were talking to people, um, one of the questions we got most often was, why are you guys doing this? What is this for? What are the strings? You know, what do I have to do to get this cookie or whatever? Um, And um, the most fun thing and the thing that I think helped us share the love of Jesus was just getting to tell them like, no, we just want to do this to treat you. We just love you guys. Um, Like take this to help you encourage, get encouraged for finals and like take this to have a good week, like smile today. Um, But also because we love Jesus, like we want to love you and we do love you and there's no strings attached to that. And so just getting to share that with students on campus um, and as we meet up with them one-on-one, like Emily said, getting to share the gospel with them and having intentionality behind those relationships. Um, Just being on campus a lot with college students. Awesome. Well, like I said, this one's for both of you guys. Um, Like I said, this is a a celebration of the fact that your Jensen program is ending, but that doesn't mean that the ministry that you are doing is ending. It's going to look different, and the context is going to be different. So I wanted to ask both of you guys, what does God have next for you, and what, is, what does that look like in the context of the way that you're going to continue to help people learn and live the ways of Jesus? So my time here in Pittsburgh was so transformational um, for me while I was here. Like I said, I came this summer. I had the intention of going back to St. Louis. I was going to work to be a youth director at a church. That was my whole plan. But after this summer was over, and then I got the opportunity to stay in Pittsburgh for a year um, as serving as a missionary here, God really grabbed my heart for missions, and I decided that um, he wasn't done with me in that field yet. So I do plan on going overseas. Um, Most likely, East Asia is where it looks like it'll be. And so through my time here in Pittsburgh, um, he really just set my heart on fire and burdened me for the lost. So that is what I plan to be my next step. And I did want to say if anyone here um, wants to be involved with praying or anything for that, I'll also have um, emails that I'll be sending back because I don't want to lose touch with all of you because you all really have become my family here. Um, This church is a very special place in my heart, and I want to stay connected to all of you. And I want you all to know that you have been a huge part in getting me here, that it's because of this church that God used this church to set my heart on fire. And so I want all of you to continue to have that impact as you pray for what I'm doing overseas and just know that that's only possible because of all of you. Sarah? Um, So as many of you know, I uh, had to Google what state Pittsburgh was in um, before coming here. Um, That partially speaks on my knowledge of geography, but also just on the fact that I was from Texas and we don't really talk about Pittsburgh. Um, And so um, it was a really random place for me to come. It was very last minute. I heard about the job three weeks before moving here. Um, But in moving here, um, the Lord revealed to me my home and a place that I love. um, And it felt like home from the very beginning. And that has a lot to do with everybody that I met here at Still City. Um, But so I'm moving to Pittsburgh for long term. Um, However long term that means, I don't know, that's up to the Lord. But um, I have a residency program at a public school here in Pittsburgh, and I will be be becoming, I don't know, um, a special education teacher within like a year or something like that. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, like I said, the ministry doesn't end for Emily getting to go overseas for a couple years for Sarah to work in the public school system here at Austin. We want to worry about what our title is. 
Um, but the reality is, is that when Jesus gave the command to go make disciples, he didn't say, when you're in the Gen Sin program, or if your name is Pastor Chris or Pastor Zach, it's a call to all of us to be people who help people learn and live the ways of Jesus. And so you guys have not only modeled that, but I'm excited to see what God continues to do in you through what you've learned in your time here and, and just the impact that he's going to have through you guys and both the things that you guys are doing. So I'm going to pray for these guys. If you would just want to join me, um, just put your hand out as we close our eyes and just kind of extend out to these guys as we lift them up to the Lord and things that they're doing. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these two women who stepped into faith God, not knowing even necessarily where Pittsburgh was on a map or not knowing what their future held and even having plans that they thought that this is what this time is going to look like. And yet for both of them, as they've just continued to let that go and let you do work in their life, it's just been an incredible thing. I can speak for myself and I know for many others in this room that you have been in a great, great encouragement through them. Through them, Lord God, we just praise you for the way that you have impacted people's lives on campus from something just as simple as passing out a little free cup of coffee to be just a window, an image to the fact that your grace is, is there's nothing that's attached to it, no strings attached. God, the fact that you died on the cross so that we can know you. So I just thank you that they have faithfully stepped into that day after day, that they've woken up early, that they've stayed up late, that they've done the things that can sometimes seem so mundane from cutting a sheet of paper and yet stepping into faithful conversations for your gospel in the cafes. God, just the impact that they've had on us as a church has been incredible. And I know that there's seeds that they have sown. We pray that there's seeds that they have sown that will bear fruit in the lives of others in this church, in the city, and beyond in ways that we get the privilege to see that they might not even get to see as they transition into these next stages. And so we do just lift up this next season of life for Emily as she continues to prepare for overseas. Would you just guard her heart and mind and continue to get her ready? And then as she steps over there, would you just protect her? Would you provide for her? And would you give her just incredible opportunities to, to make your name known across the globe, as it says in the scriptures, to the ends of the earth? She has the privilege to do that. And for Sarah, God, as she steps into this program, as she's getting this degree, as she's stepping into our school systems, Lord God, where we know that that's where some of the future generations are, Lord, would you just continue to protect her heart and mind? Lord God, as, as the performance or maybe the pressure of school can start to set in, would you help her to remember first and foremost that you are the ultimate thing that's worthy of pursuit and everything else comes secondary to that? Would you let her have an impact on the children and then their parents and then generation after generation um, by simply stepping into something and serving you faithfully in her profession? Lord God, we lift up both these women. We praise you for their lives and their faith and their ministry over the past couple months. And we continue just to ask and make the request as they have been an answer to the prayer for laborers for your gospel in this city. We pray that there would be more laborers like them who work for your name to be made known here in the city of Pittsburgh. God, we lift all these things up in Christ's holy name. Amen. Hey, give it up for these guys one last time. So it has been a huge blessing to serve alongside Sarah and Emily. They have definitely kind of poured some life into us. And one of the things that, that is beautiful about these ladies is just their willingness to just remind uh, me and Zach of just the sweetness that there's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's where we start today. We kind of, we start where we left off last week um, or two weeks ago when we celebrated Easter together for he is risen, he is risen indeed. And we closed our service um, with a corporate reflection of communion. And that's what these ladies are serving for. They're driving back to the cross of Jesus Christ and the, the beauty. And I still just keep referencing it because it was such a beautiful statement that Andrew Shilfarth said when he did a, a recent communion reflection is that we, we're not here to eulogize Jesus. He is risen. He is risen indeed. But it doesn't negate the sacrifice. And so I think it's a beautiful picture for us to start today as we look to see what the good, good Father did for us by sending His Son to die on the cross for us so that we may have new life, 
so that we may serve and do not from our own works, but from his. So if you would, if you go and pull out your, your communion elements and go ahead and begin the process of unpackaging them, um, I'm sure they did the same thing in the upper room with Jesus as they unpacked the communion elements out of the cellophane and plastic juice cups. The good, good father, our father, sent his son, his only son, to die for us. And his son engaged his disciples and he shared with them a meal just like they did so many times. And just like at the Passover time, so many Jewish men and women did where they ate together and they celebrated together the the rescue that they had out of Egypt. And Jesus took this Passover meal and made it very personal And he changed some of the language that was in it because he knew what was about to happen. And so as they're celebrating together, they're in the upper room, Jesus with his disciples, these guys that he's walked arm in arm with in ministry. And he says, guys, boys, listen. He took the bread and he blessed it and he gave it to them and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Take it, eat it, and do this in remembrance of me. And after that reflection, Jesus then took the cup of wine, and he held it up, and he gave thanks to the Father, the good Father, the one who was was giving his son as a sacrifice for many. And Jesus held the wine up, and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is going to be poured out for many. Take, drink it. And do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, thank you for this sacrifice. Thank you that we daily can drive back to that. And that's exactly what we want to do today from from the, the purpose of this talk is to drive our hearts back to you constantly longing and seeking for you. Um, Lord, you satisfied it. You gave your body. You poured out your blood for us. Lord, let us not forget that. Let us reflect on that. Let us start here and let us move forward from there. Lord, we love you. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen. So, you know, one thing Zach was actually laughing about it um, a little bit ago, you know, talking about how hard it is to be a parent, you know, with all his experience in changing his voice from English to Australian accent. Um, but it is, it is very difficult being a parent. And so everyone in here has some level of context for being a parent. You either are a parent or you have a parent. If you don't have a parent, we will talk afterwards and we'll figure that whole stuff out. But everybody in here has some level of connection to parenthood. And you know how difficult it can be. And, you know, there's a, the frame of reference that you have for your parents is very important. And it, it actually guides the way that you process and, and shape things, even within our even with our mindset, like our spiritual mindset, with God being the good, good father. You know, I had, I had great parents. My, my dad and mom were here in our last service, um, just phenomenal parents. They set boundaries for me. They, um, you know, there weren't a ton of like just specific hard rules in our house, but my parents definitely set, you know, boundaries, curfew. They had an expectation um, for the way that I was going to act, which didn't, I didn't live up to very often probably, Um, but they nonetheless were encouraging and sacrificial, um, very generous, very caring. Um, They, it was obvious that my parents loved me. Um, I was definitely a, a rambunctious, crazy kid. Um, If you, if you know Edie, my, my daughter Edie, that's me without the, the cute blonde hair and the cuteness probably about 30 years ago. Um, I, was, I was definitely a handful. Um, there were definitely times that I was, I was disciplined. 
Um, I definitely you know, had to learn what obedience looked like, and my parents invited me into that process. Um, it was not like a lording down type thing, but my parents were very, very caring. And, you know, my kids are crazy. I'm sure all the parents in here um, are understanding that now. I've had to call my parents several times and just, number one, just apologize and just like, mom, dad, I'm sorry. Like, I put you through whatever. And also, I've had to talk to my dad a couple times and be like, dad, how did you not kill me? Like, you would have, you would have been justified in this. And, you know, as lucky as I was for parents, and I, and I pray that, that many of you had a very similar uh, relationship with your parents, it's, it's not always the case. You know, I had, I had very dear friends of mine that had very rough experiences with their parents and very hard experiences with their parents, where their parents were, you know, either detached and, and overbearing or unrealistic. They set these crazy unrealistic expect, expectations or there was no communication of expectations at all. And they were just kind of left to their own devices. Um, you know, the balance between the hard rules and regulations and you will and you won't and no and yes and, and these hard form things versus to just do whatever you want to do. You know, I definitely had some friends that, that they were demanded to be obedient obedient and they were just it was a command like you will always do what I say when I say it and sometimes there was even this expectation of perfection you know it was never ever good enough for their parents and you know the frame of reference that we have with our families definitely sets us up when we begin to talk about what we're going to talk about today. And so I'm asking if you would come into this with an open hand today. Because I'll tell you, standing here, I have a lot of anxiety even within myself as I'm having to even present this with an open hand because I have my own level of things that I hold dear and, and, and frames and references that I have, have developed over the years. And because what we're going to be talking about today can almost make some, some hair stand up on the back of your neck. And, and we have been in this Cultivate series, and we've talked about rooted belief and, and then we're about to say it. Yes, we're about to talk about it today. Here we go. Rooted obedience. And some of us are like, I'm good with this. And some of us are like, oh my God, here we go again. All right, this is, this is what I dealt with my whole life, and here I am back again talking about being obedient. You know, because the, the, the root of belief in Jesus and who Jesus is, which is what we want to get from our, our series so far, and, and, you know, the things that he has done brings about a level of obedience, but the problem is we so often can get on this like spectrum of obedience where it's like, no, this is a workspace thing. I've got to work as hard as I can. Or we lay on the other side because we maybe had parents that didn't set boundaries or whatever, or maybe too hard. And it's like, I just can't do this anymore. So you know what? Just let obedience be obedience. It just is what it is. So we've got a problem that we've got to unpack today. We've got to figure out what obedience means in the light of who Jesus is. So our objective today is that every follower of Jesus, so everyone in here that has confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, we can rest in grace. Rest in grace. Why can we do that? Because obedience is probably not what you think it is. It's probably not what you think it is. So let's open our hands today. When it comes to the term of obedience, let's take a deep breath and let's see what Jesus has in store for us. So if you are willing and able, I would love for you to join me as we stand to read the Word of God. So I would please stand we're going to be in Mark 7 today. Um, we're going to be in verses 20 through 23. And of course, I'm going to say it until you can repeat it almost word for word. We stand on the rock of the word. Don't listen to Chris. Don't listen to Zach. 
Don't be obedient to us. Let's rest in the grace that Jesus brings. For this is the word of the Lord. And he was saying, and this is Jesus saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. You know, you're probably listening and thinking like, man, we were talking about obedience, but I don't know what that is, but that's not obedience right there. That's pretty obvious. So let's, let's kind of take a chance to kind of get the full picture of what's going on. But to do that, I feel like we've got to kind of frame it with a little bit of a story. So many of you know, I am, I would say, a self-proclaimed foodie. I love to eat. And what I, what I really like to eat, though, is I like to go into restaurants that most people probably wouldn't go into based on, like, their outward appearance, all right? So I would say, like, Big Jim's qualifies, and many of you know how much I love Big Jim's. Um, and so there's a, a restaurant that's probably similar to that, close to where I lived in Columbia, and it was called Pizza Palace. And one day, uh, Edie had just been born, so Tinley's about two years old, we're eating at Pizza Palace, and I mean, if anybody has ever taken a two-year-old out to eat, it is absolutely an utter embarrassment for what they do on the floor to the restaurant. Praise God for dogs, all right? That's when you need a dog is when your kid's about two or three years old, and they're just throwing stuff off just for fun. So Tinley, of course, being the two-year-old that she is... I mean, it was like a ring of food down there. We're finished eating. I'm like horrified, but the lady's like, no, you don't have to worry about it. Don't clean it up. I'll get it. It's like, all right, sweet. Thank you. And so being the great dad that I am, I'm like, Rachel, you can go out and put Edie in the car. I'll take Tinley with me. So we go up. I go to the register. And of course, being the great dad that I am, I'm not paying attention to my child because, you know, like let the community raise them, Right. And so I'm paying my bill, and I hear this commotion going on behind me. And then I kind of look around for Tinley, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? And so I look back, and there is a table next to where we are that is just all out of sorts. And I was like, oh, my God, what's going on? And so I look and kind of investigate a little bit more as I'm trying to pay the bill. And what is going on is, is Tinley had walked back over the table because, of course, the food that she didn't want in the high chair, you know, looks like filet mignon as it lays on the carpet here. Now, this, this restaurant is probably minimum 60 years old. They had just instituted a no-smoking rule, so it had the definite, like, fragrant aroma of just... 80-year-old cigarette residue throughout, and they probably hadn't changed the carpet. So as mortified as you're getting, like that's what the whole point is. And so Tinley is over there, and she's looking at the table of the people sitting there, and she's going, I eat it. And she's picking it up, and I eat it. And she's, you know, because God made dirt. Dirt don't hurt, you know. We did not have a five-minute rule. It was a five-second rule, but five seconds, five minutes to a two-year-old. And so this table is mortified. And I'm like, I'm mortified. Like, okay, how am I going to like wiggle out of this? And I'm glad Rachel wasn't in there because she would have melted. And so I just kind of walked up and just grabbed, grabbed my child's hand and just walked off like nothing was wrong. And and we went to the car, and it was just like, okay, it is what it is. And so that, like, mortification of those people looking at my child eat off the floor at Pizza Palace is exactly where we pick up today. And what we see is we see the Pharisees who are the religious leaders in this time, they are looking at Jesus' disciples just as that table looked at Tinley, mortified at what they're doing. And what the argument here is, it's over washing hands, okay? Not eating off the floor, but just washing hands. And so the Pharisees had these, like this, this idea of, man, 
to, to do anything, especially if you're ingesting anything into your body, you need to understand that you are not good enough to do that alone, that there is this sin problem that we have. And so therefore, we solve this sin problem by outward expressions, by outward things. And so the law of God requires us to be pure, to be before the Father. And so the Pharisees were like, you know what? That law is good, but we're going to make it even better. And we're going we're gonna to take it to another level of being good enough, being clean enough, being washed enough when we eat. So that way we make sure that we please God in the process. Well, the disciples being the ragtag bunch that they were, being the two-year-old kids that go back to the, the food on the floor, they, they weren't really about that life. And so the Pharisees were looking at them in a way that of just disdain and mortification that was like, oh my gosh, what are these Jewish men doing? How dare they do anything like that? They don't follow this washing ritual that we've created. Do they not understand what the problem is? And they bring this to Jesus. And Jesus being the leader that he is, he goes in on the Pharisees. And he's like, all right, talk bad about my boys and let's see what happens. And so Jesus begins to unpack this process of pointing these Pharisees beyond just their ritual understanding of cleanliness and purity and holiness and being good enough. And so that's what he does throughout verses one to five as the Pharisees complain. And then if you, if you I'm sorry, back up in verse, in, in chapter seven, um, in verses one and five, that's where the Pharisees are really getting after Jesus and what his disciples to do. Like verse five, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Why would they not do what we tell them to do? Do they not care about what they look like? Do they not care about who they are? Do they not care about the obedience that's required to please God? And Jesus, of course, begins to just kind of take this whole thing apart. And he begins to pull it apart string by string. And Jesus highlights their desire to make their own rules for their own righteousness, for their own forgiveness, for their own works. And he challenges the Pharisees to a point that it completely just kind of invalidates everything that they believe in. But there's some things that Jesus begins to say here and he points to within the Pharisees is that, yeah, there's a problem. I agree with you in the fact that we all have this big sin problem and that you aren't as holy as God is but you can't solve this problem from the outside. You can't take care of an internal problem externally. And that's where we pick up when we get to verse 20, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. It's what proceeds out of him. For from within is where this level of disobedience and unholiness and unrighteousness stem out of. It's from within our heart that the problem is, you skip down to verse 23, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. You know, we define sin at Steel City Church as is the failure to reflect God in our thoughts, our actions, and our being. And so if you think about the list, the things that come out of our heart that Jesus lists in verses 21 and 22, it easily falls within these categories. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, the fornifications, thefts, actions, murders, actions, adulteries, actions, deeds of covening and wickedness, as well as deceit being deceitful, being sensual, being envious, slander being an action, pride, the I am prideful and foolishness. So Jesus is saying here, man, your problem and what you should be hammering the disciples for is not how clean they are and how much they wash their hands before they eat. There's a bigger problem here. 
that has to be addressed. And, you know, the beautiful thing is, is I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully if you're, if you've been listening over the past couple weeks that you can be like, now, hold on, Chris, wait a minute now. We, we kind of had this thing solved, haven't we? We've had this problem solved. I mean, we are all under this, this sin issue. All human beings that are made in the image of God, it, it is, you know, in the garden, the, the, the relationship was, was severed. And so we, we all have this problem. But you've said in the past couple sermons, as you've talked about who Jesus is, You've made it very clear that he, he has solved this problem. And so we looked at Mark 1. Jesus came to preach. He preached repentance and belief. He said that, hey, if you turn from your ways and turn to God, it's given to you. The sin problem's addressed. And, and you didn't stop there, but you said in Mark 2, Jesus came to forgive sin. He came to satisfy the punishment. How did he do that? He shed his blood on the cross. He's taken care of my sins. Yes, he has. Very good, you're listening. But you didn't stop there. Then you said that God, Jesus came to be the ransom for many. He came to pay the price because we were enslaved to the life of our sin. But he paid that ransom to give us new life, to adopt us into a new family. Yes, he did. So that problem's been taken care of. So what are we talking about today? The issue is, is we, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we are forgiven in God's eyes, eternally, we are sinless. We are able to move forward. However, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a problem that continues to just burden us and really wear us down. And it's the problem of indwelling sin. We have this residue within ourselves because of our brokenness an inability to fully experience God's grace until Jesus comes back, that there's this residue of sin that just kind of holds us. And I can tell right now, just from your looks, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because I surely do. And I've had a lot of consternation within myself planning this sermon because what we're talking about today is something that just destroys me. In Jerry Bridges' book, the, the Discipline of Grace, I highly recommend that read. Anything by Jerry Bridges is awesome, but The Discipline of Grace probably was a, is a life-changing book for me. And one of the things he talks about in there, just to make it very clear, and just the beauty of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, is he then paints the picture that we as sinful human beings, even though we're forgiven of sin, still have this level of indwelling sin in us. Is you have to think about it like a civil war in maybe a like third world country. And so the warring and fighting is going on, and we are even seeing it in Ukraine where they're attacking like large cities, metropolitan areas, big depots and, and military institutions. And like that's where the initial fighting happens in these big areas. But then when the, 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 the battle wages on and wars on and finally they're starting to see a winner prevail, which we see when Christ defeated death on the cross. The problem is, is a lot of times that fighting moves out into the rural areas and there's this level of guerrilla warfare going on. And our sins are forgiven. We can, we can glory in that. We can proclaim the fact that Jesus Christ abolished death and we are invited into that, but we still have this problem within us. You know, God's grace is his act of favor bestowing the greatest gift upon those who have deserved the greatest punishment. We deserve the greatest punishment. But man, God's grace is so good, it pours into us. But the thing is, if we're like the Pharisees and all we think about is how we can clean ourselves up on the outside, we've got a problem. Jerry Bridges says, so where the law condemns, grace forgives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Where the law commands, 
but gives no power, where we have to go through these steps and these, these functions and these processes, it gives us no power. But grace, what does grace do? Grace commands, but does give power. How? Through the Holy Spirit who lives and works within us. And so we're given this power to battle indwelling sin, indwelling sin that remains in us. It has this, this inclination towards worldly passions, the very ones we just read in verse 20, um, 22, or 21 and 22. And it constantly needs restraint being denied as gratification, as our sensuality and our enviness. It needs to be held back because that indwelling sin is still there. But how do we go about doing that? How do we look like Jesus? How do we be like Jesus if we still have this problem within our hearts that we're constantly dealing with? We do this through obedience. We do this, number one, by having a solid understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. And then we begin to realize the process of obedience. And I'll tell you, as I said it just a minute ago, this is something that I struggle with. Because my nature says, earn it. My nature says, work harder. My nature says, just clean yourself up enough, Chris. And so we need to make sure that we have a solid understanding of what obedience is. And so I've got a longer definition, and then I'm just going to break it down as much as I can. So what is obedience? What is obedience in the eyes of what Jesus Christ did for us, that he did all the work? What is obedience within that? And so first, let's start with what obedience is not. It is not being, doing, or acting better. It's not doing those things. But resting in God's unmerited favor, which is grace, unmerited favor, and endless love toward us, which entices us and empowers us to look like him. Let me say it again, right, Zach? Amen. Obedience is not being, doing, acting better. That's a never-ending cycle. But resting in God's grace and endless love towards us, which entices us and empowers us to look like him. All right, let's shorten it up. Shorten it up. Not my right actions, but his gracious empowerment. It's not about my rightness. It's about his righteousness. His gracious empowerment. You know, Jesus is not telling us to do better. Had that been the case, then what would he have done is been like, all right, boys, y'all come over here. Let me, let me show you how to clean yourselves up. Let me show you how to wash your hands. Let me give you better stuff to do that with. You know, if, if they could have just washed themselves better with better antimicrobial soap and better scrub pads and better purified water and better hand sanitizer and better whatever else, wouldn't that have been enough? That's not what Jesus said. It's like you can't earn this. You didn't earn salvation. You didn't earn your forgiveness. You didn't earn your new life. I did it for you. It was me, Jesus. I did it. Let go. So we have to be careful as followers of Jesus Christ not to develop this standard of living that all we focus on is being or doing or acting. We can't fix an internal 
problem. Indwelling sin within our hearts, we can't fix that externally. We have to do it internally. In doing that, we alluded to it in our definition, we have to rest in God's unmerited favor. His unmerited favor to save us. He fixed the problem for us internally. But we don't stop there because there's this beautiful, there's this beautiful word that people use in church. So we have to be careful using church words, but this is a church word. It is called sanctification. Sanctification. All right. Everybody say that. Sanctification. All right. Let it roll off your tongue. Sanctification. That's a fancy word to say, go look like Jesus. That's, that's, that's God saying, I'm going to make you look like Jesus. That's who I'm going to make you look like, Jesus. And so within that, that's where we war against this indwelling sin, to look more like Jesus. You know, because you, you're like, man, you know, okay, so if, if I'm going to do better, then, then if I'm going to look more like Jesus, then I, I know, I, I know for a fact, I, I got to do, do a little better job reading my Bible. I, I got to go check off some, I got I to read my Bible more and I got to pray some more. So I'm going to go do those, like that's going to make me look better. It's just, just reading my Bible, right? Just, just, just reading it and checking off my list. Is it? Does reading your Bible make you, make you better? I know a lot of people read their Bible and they still look like they looked a long time ago. Because I know I've read my Bible a lot and there are a lot of times I still like the old Chris too. What about just praying? What about other spiritual disciplines? What about, what about like giving to the church? Is that going to make me better off? If, if I just go through that, what, what if I like... What if I change just some of my actions and like the way that I go about doing things? Like I just like, you know what, I'm gonna stop doing this. You ever try to stop doing something that's really hard? Especially something that you really like doing. What does grace say though? What does God's unmerited favor say? What is when he did all the work to save us by, by allowing his son to be on a cross? How do we then get better? Well, then we, we rest in this grace that God did for us on the cross. And it's like, wait a minute. If God did all the work then, then is he not doing all the work now for me to look more like him? So do I need to be focusing on an action or an effort or a thought? Or do I need to focus on the one that fixed the problem for me internally? And then as I focus on the one that fixed my problem internally, then he's going to, as we said in the definition, entice us to look more like him. And I'm going to focus on him. And so I'm not going to read my Bible because I'm going to think my Bible reading makes me a better person. I'm going to go read my Bible because it paints a very clear picture of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross and who God is in that process. And it's going to be like, oh, man, you mean God is perfectly holy? And so when I do whatever this action is or have whatever this thought is, that's not pleasing to him. I see my sin more clearly now. And he saved me anyway? Yes, he saved you anyway. And so we look at things, we have to look at things through this level of not doing or being or trying harder. We look at, we have to look at things that we do and who we are through the unmerited favor, the grace that, that was poured out for us on the gospel or on, on, the, on the cross. So that drives us to our action step today, which is as simple as it possibly can be which is we have to preach the good news, the gospel, to ourselves. If we're going to figure out a way to rest in who Jesus is, we have to have a solid understanding of what he did. Now, the thing is, 
I can lay this out. I could give you a step-by-step process to do this, and it would be completely unfair because most likely I would lean more towards the sides of the Pharisees. And I would ask you to look more like Chris and not more like Jesus is ultimately what I would do. Because whenever I put steps in place or loopholes in place, they usually benefit me. They don't usually benefit what Jesus did for me and point, point me to what Jesus did for me on the cross. And so I, I'm, I'm not going to give you these five-step plan to looking more like Jesus because Jesus has his own five-step plan for you to look more like him. But how do we clearly know who and what Jesus did for us and the beauty of who God is? Is we have to look to the cross. And so a statement that I use a lot within my prayer as I preach the gospel to myself, as I try to rest in grace to drive me and entice me and empower me to the Holy Spirit, to obedience, is the statement that's coming up. It's just, it's simple. It's the the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus for my sins to give me access to God. And sometimes if I'm being incredibly prideful and arrogant that day, I'll add a little disclaimer on the end because I couldn't do it myself. The life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus for my sins to give me access to God. I did none of it. Nothing I did saved me. Everything Jesus did saved me. And so if I'm to look like him, then I have to go back to the point where I could look like him, which is at my salvation. The life, the death, the burial, the burial, resurrection of Jesus for my sins that give me access to God. And if you just want it super simple, and we've said it a bunch of times, Christ abolished death. Sin brings death. Failure to reflect God in thoughts, actions, and being brings death. Christ abolished death. He did it, not me. And so in my obedience, in my desire to look more and more like Jesus, I have to drive back to this. And I'll tell you, this past week, Zach and I went to North Carolina with Tyler um, and uh, a Thursday morning, we had a, a, just a, an opportunity to worship. And as much as I wrestled with how to like present this, because I, I, I struggled with this because I just, I want to make it very clear that this is not about us. It's about what Jesus did for us. We don't look like him by working harder we, we look like him by resting in what he did and who he is. And I'm just not good at that. And so in that worship time, I, there was just a little bit of a breakdown within myself that I finally was able to take that deep breath and drop my shoulder some and say, man, <laughs> the same grace you're trying to preach to your congregation and share with your congregation is the same grace you need to accept right now. And it was just a humbling reminder of what Jesus did for me on the cross, that he paid this. I can rest in that. And it looks different for everybody. This is an experiential thing. This is me standing at the side of the pool, ready to go swimming with my floaties in, and nine times out of the 10, nine times out of 10, I just dip my toe in the water. And it's like, jump, Chris. Jump. Just jump in. And that's where my dad would probably come up and just push me in, being the good dad that he was. And I would probably do that to my child as well. But, you know, that's one of our prayers for y'all is that, is that you'll push each other into that pool. That's why we need each other. 
The point, that's why we come here on Sundays. We don't come here on Sundays to check it off our list. We don't come here on Sundays to say that we're good church folk because church folk ain't good. They some of the nastiest folk you ever be around if you ever really want to dig into it. And one of the reasons is, is they spend so much time trying to check it off their list and not resting in the grace that Jesus offers at the cross. So just as a reminder, with a slight shifted objective, we can say, I can rest in grace because obedience isn't my right actions, but it's his empowerment by his unmerited favor, by his grace. His grace empowers me. He fills me with his Holy Spirit. He loves me so much that he gave his spirit. You know, being a parent has been one of the most sanctifying things that I've ever dealt with in my life. And like, it, it makes me like reprocess even how my parents did things, not because they were wrong, but just because, you know what, there's just sometimes in different circumstances where you do things different. But it's made me realize kind of what my mindset is with my parents. And so I'm gonna leave you with two things. One quote that I have said within myself for a long time, and sooner or later, I will believe it. So I hope if I say this, it's gonna click in somebody, and you're gonna be like, man, I need to have coffee with Chris and walk him through some stuff. And I'll be like, amen. But it's, it's from, from Jerry Bridges. He says, the same grace that saved you is the same grace that sanctifies you. The same grace, the same unmerited favor that was poured out on the cross is the same unmerited favor that he pours out on us all the time to look more like him, to glorify him, to be in a deeper relationship with him. He longs for us. And with that being said, this is something that was said by a guy, Brian Barley, who's a pastor in Denver. Um, one of our, our network churches, and he says, and this is why the rooted belief drives in that rooted obedience. He said, when I thought of God as caring for my mind and caring for my thoughts, he was a grueling professor or an angry theologian. And he went on, he said, when I thought of God as caring just for my work and my works and my worth within what I do each day, he was a brutal coach or a tyrannical CEO or a horrible military general. But when I think of God, as desiring my heart, longing for my heart, longing to shape what's within because he paid that price for us. He's a good, good dad. Let us rest in that. Let us rest in that. That is him who did this for us. His grace is what saved us and his grace is what will drive us to look more and more like him. So in front of you, around you, you've got a, a connection card um, it looks just like that. We would love to connect with you if you would like to do so. Um, there's an opportunity, down our, our place on the bottom, for you to maybe put in a prayer request. I would love, Zach would love, um, tomorrow is when we typically do it, is to lift you up and bear your burdens in prayer. So if you have something that we could pray for you with, for, whatever, man, put it on here. It would be an honor for us to do that. If you want to get more involved in the life of the church, you can check that, those boxes on there as well. Um, our discipleship groups, I'm going to throw out a, an advertisement for discipleship. Um, and I'll probably be putting this stuff out too, Zach. I hope this is okay. We'll do a little public source with our next material. But we're going to be jumping in discipleship-wise into a, a series on the character of God. And it's going to paint for us a picture of deeply who God is in his character and how incredible he is. And so we're going to have that out, but we would love for you to join our discipleship process, our discipleship groups. Um, 
It is a great time. I've told y'all before, mine meets at 5.30 on Wednesday mornings, and man, I look forward to that morning. I'm flying out of bed on Wednesday mornings. So we would love to connect with you. Fill out that card. We're going to have just a few seconds of just super awkward silence because we don't do super awkward silence. And you know what? There's just an amazing pool of grace that we can rest in. So I pray that you do that right now. So take just a few minutes just to process, reflect on our worship so far and prepare your heart as we move forward in worship. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says, But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our our transgressions and in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in him for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Lord, let our obedience be a rest in grace, not a desire to work, to clean, to do, to try to make you happy. You did all that work for us. Lord, let us rest in you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.